0: Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Speak to us once again. Speak, Father. Your word is life. Your word has power to change everything in our life. To change our now, and to change who we are in eternity. Only your word has that power. So even as we prepare to hear your word, touch our minds and our hearts to understand and to believe and above all to obey. Speak Father. For so in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you were there last Sunday, We were looking at growing in the knowledge of God. And we saw the difference in the Bible. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, revelation. These are all different. And we are talking about the kingdom of God here. We're not talking about anything of the world. And like if you were there at the GTLC anniversary, you would have understood actually the struggle we actually face, unlike older generation. Honestly, I'm telling you, go on Google or come to the church library, pick one of C.H. Spurgeon's normal sermon. We will not understand it. The average Christian of today, or even the above average Christian of today will not understand this. Spurgeon's normal sermon, preached to light, Eight to 10,000 people who just came to hear his word. And he was not of the general circuit. He was kicked out of the general circuit. So he started his own church. The reason is because education then was spiritual. The common people were products of an education which was based on the word and the word alone. We are products of a secular culture. An education which is focused on man, which is basically humanism. The center is man. Everything is about man. and Nothing is about God. And actually, God has been kept out. Therefore, when we come to church, we struggle. We struggle with understanding. We struggle with concepts. Because six days a week, five days a week, you are drummed with a system which puts man in the center. And then Sunday, when you come over here, pastors are under incredible pressure either to stand true to the word and bring God back to the center and the kingdom of God back into focus or like many crumble under pressure and preach a gospel which is about man and about this world. That's our struggle. So this morning I want you to go back. When you hear concepts, when you hear the word it's all about the kingdom of God, which is eternal. Let's look at the first scripture for today. What Peter says in his final epistle, the two epistles of Peter, this is in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. We know it, but once again, let's read it very, very carefully. His divine power. No, 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 no. Chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given to us. See? Say that again. Do you believe? Do you believe? You actually should do a word study of all when it is connected with God. It's interesting. This season, three Sundays from now is Resurrection Sunday. We all went astray. And he put the iniquity of us all on him. He's a God who forgives all our iniquities and heals all our sins. When God says all, he means all. He doesn't mean some or almost all. He means all. But if the honest is on you and I to look into the word and say, I believe. I believe. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Our life for a believer is split into two. One, we have a life on earth. So there are needs, material needs. Scripture says, He has already given it. Not that he will give us. Scripture says he has given to us. In Christ Jesus it is given. And not only that. Everything that pertains to godliness. And how is it? Through the knowledge of him. Who called us by glory and virtue. That is the key. He called us. And we can know this only through the knowledge of him. That is why the teaching of the word of God. Is the teaching of God. Know him. Somebody wrote a prayer request. I want to love him more and more. It's just the only way you will love somebody more and more is by knowing somebody more and more. And the beauty about God is that the more you know him, the more you love him. Because there's nobody like him. That's why this great writer and all, he's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. The lily of the valley, the rose of all these things came from there. So you have to look at it and say, Lord, I want to grow in the knowledge of you. And in that knowledge of him is also everything that we need. Everything that we need. By which we have been given us what? Exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of his divine nature. You have to look, these two words are loaded. Okay, it's enough for a pastor's conference. Okay. There are promises given in the Bible, over 9,000 promises. The purpose of the promise is through that we load our houses. No, we become the partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that comes through lust. Two things happen. One, his nature becomes our nature. We actually start partaking of the very nature of Jesus Christ as he walked on earth. A man who walked light, very hand luggage only whenever Jesus traveled, only hand luggage, no extra baggage, nothing. Yet he did not know what lack was. Yet he was a blessing to many. And it is his nature, he escaped All the corruption in the world, to the point when the devil comes, he says, the ruler of this world has come, found nothing in me. So understand what scripture means, the purpose of the knowledge of God. The reason is that when we actually start studying the word of God, and we start understanding God and his kingdom, all of our preconceived ideas of life will start falling apart. And the kingdom of God, which is real, which is eternal, will start growing in us. So let's get into today's study, teaching, preaching, whichever you want to look at it, okay? So one of the first acts we saw last Sunday also, one of not one of the the first acts of Jesus, the first act of Jesus post resurrection is recorded in John chapter twenty and verse twenty and twenty one. It's recorded over there. Uh, Yeah, let's go to 21. Okay. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also sent you. And verse 22 says, what did you do first? The first thing God does, he breathes upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. Remember last Sunday I said, whenever God decides to do something with humanity, he doesn't work first with the people. He works first with the leadership. Okay, He works first with the leadership. He's not working with the people. He'll work with the people 40 days later. But he works first with the leadership. And with the leadership, the first thing he does, he says, Peace! Because now it is possible for man to have peace with God because of the atonement. The first word he utters is peace. And then he breathes upon them. He speaks peace and he breathes upon them. When we look at it, we don't realize actually what is happening. He's doing exactly what he has done right from the beginning. And the psalmist speaks about this in Psalm 33 and verse 6. The psalmist says... By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. This is how God has always worked in creation. God the Father, through the word, his Son, and through the breath, that is his Holy Spirit, for us to understand in human terms. That is how he has done all of creation, by the word and by the Spirit. By the word of the Lord and by the breath of his mouth. So that's how creation begins and creation continues. So now what we see in John 2022, 22, 21, 22 is the beginning of the new creation. Beginning of the new creation. The beginning of the new creation, Jesus speaks and he breathes upon his apostles. Once he's done that, if you look in the chronological order, What he does with the disciples, the leadership, the next thing he does with the leadership is found in Luke 24 and verse 45. What he does, the scripture says, he opened their understanding. Okay? Open their understanding. That's what we need to pray. Lord, open my understanding. Open. Otherwise, we won't comprehend scriptures because scriptures are the testimony and the witness of God. Unless he opens our understanding, see, this is something which he has to do. They walked with him for three and a half years. They partook of his ministry, of his power. They lived with him, walked with him, yet they did not comprehend scriptures until he opened their understanding. So don't ever think it is possible for us also in any other way. He opened their understanding so they could comprehend the scriptures. Remember in Ephesians 1 and verse 17. For years and years, 17 and 18, we prayed this prayer. We looked at it last week. That the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So you have knowledge, wisdom, revelation, all coming. And in verse 18, scripture says, But for all that to happen, the eyes of your understanding must be enlightened. You could have Jesus himself coming and giving you the greatest revelation. You won't understand it unless our understanding is opened. If Einstein were to come and teach you a mathematical theory, who will understand? Pastor Vijay, the rest of us will look like idiots over there. What is this hairy man talking about? Because we have no understanding of math. Are you getting what God is saying? The eyes of your understanding... These are real prayers of real people for 2,000 years. Lord, I want to comprehend your scripture. I want to know you. Lord, I want to understand your kingdom, Lord. I need wisdom. I need knowledge. I need revelation. But Lord, I need understanding. Open my eyes. This is not the wisdom of the world. No. Actually, the wisdom of the world works against the wisdom of God. That is why people like us, who grew in the wisdom of the world with all the degrees one day, put it all away and threw all that stuff away and said, we are going there no more. Because the wisdom of the world works against the wisdom of God. And Most of the stuff most people read is connected with the wisdom of the... Look at what God says in First Corinthians chapter 19 and 20 about what we all learned in the secular colleges. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This is talking about the wisdom and understanding of the world. I will destroy the wisdom. You know what? There will be no PhDs in heaven. Everybody who reaches heaven, none of them will have a doctorate degree from earth. It will be all be found of no value. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not. God made foolish the wisdom of this world. That's why I said, Be good students. Learn your trade well. Be a good doctor. Be a good engineer. Be a good software engineer. Whatever profession you choose. But this is wisdom. Don't follow their ideas. Don't follow their ideology. Don't follow their philosophy. It will compromise you and it may even keep you outside the kingdom when the day comes. And we need to understand also why the gospel has lost the power today. The gospel hasn't lost its power, but we have made it of no power. Why? Because we have replaced the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world in our preaching. Listen to verse 21 to 24. Paul himself. Yeah. For since the wisdom of the of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. You know how it is? Loaded the scripture. You cannot Through the intellect, you cannot through great studies in colleges understand God. It's not possible. Unless he opens your eyes. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. But the message that is preached is absolute foolishness to this world. For since, yeah. For the Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. and But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. The Jews, is a stumbling block because they are coming from the old covenant where death is a failure. It's a defeat. It's a stumbling block for the Jew to think about losing in life. Death. God dying? No, Yahweh cannot die. Yahweh cannot be defeated. Death is a defeat. So the death of Jesus on the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. And to the Greeks... Foolishness. What are you talking about? But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's why Paul says, I sought to know nothing. Except Christ crucified. Because he will say the reason. He will say, we don't go going into that. But let me explain to you in my own words. This is, he says, through the cross, I will boast only of the cross. Through the cross, the world is crucified to me. And I am crucified to the world. The wisdom of the world stops at me. It will not come into me. Through the cross, it has stopped. Why I am saying is that much of our anxieties are caused. Because we are relying on the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world cannot give you any peace. And through the wisdom of the world, you cannot know God. So what God is looking for is what he always did from the beginning, what we saw in Psalm 33 and verse 6. We saw that, no? Through the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God is looking for men, women, and children who will align their minds to the word of God and their spirits to the spirit of God. That's all he's looking for. That's what he meant by a generation will rise. Who shall worship me in truth. That is his word and in spirit. That's what he's looking for in every generation. If he can get a man, a woman, a child. It can be a man like Moses. it took God 40 years to get the wisdom of Egypt out. And replace it with his wisdom. For that that man had to be humbled and broken. And die to himself before he received the wisdom of God. And God alone. And his spirit has to be aligned with the spirit of God before God could send him and use him to save Israel. Or it could be a young boy like Samuel, a young boy whose mind is aligned to the word of God, his spirit to the spirit of God. And about Samuel it is written as it is written about Jesus. He grew in stature, in wisdom. And scripture says the words of his mouth did not fall to the ground. And scripture will always say the word of the Lord came to Samuel and the word of Samuel came to the people. This is what God is looking for in every generation. And it will not happen through human wisdom. This cannot happen through human wisdom. That is why I said when you go for your studies, whatever degree, look it only has a trade. And be excellent in your trade. Don't imbibe the ideology behind it which is humanism. Which is a mockery of who God is. Don't imbibe those ideas. Because humanism will move to communism, to socialism, to feminism, to everyism will come in through that. And the cross and the work on the cross will become of no effect in our lives. And our struggles are because of the secular education that pumped into our minds. Then we try to understand the wisdom of God. We are trying to use that wisdom to comprehend the scriptures and God says, no way Jose. it doesn't happen. Ask of me and I will give it to you. Ask for me. Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, in the knowledge of God. And open, enlighten the eyes of my under It is a daily prayer of a child of God. Not a one-time prayer. A daily prayer. Every day you go before and Lord, show me who you are. I want to grow in you. And when such people arise, such people arise, men, women, or children, they arise. You will see what is prophesied in the book of Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. You will see it coming into pass. What do we become? He has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. This is not the typical, because the minute you hear this word, reign, people go wonky. Because immediately reigning is connected with the world. The worldly wisdom about how everybody... Why are they all fighting in these elections? Because they want to reign over us. That is the concept which is completely different. Though they are called government servants, they are nobody's servants. But here scripture is talking about a different kind of reigning altogether. This is when Jesus comes. But before that prophetically Peter will say you are a kingdom of priests. Who is a priest? Priests are who enforce the will of God on earth through prayer. Through prayer. That's how they reign. First they reign over themselves. They reign over themselves. That's, that's what grace is all about. We are high priests under the order of Melchizedek, under grace. And scripture says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion. You shall walk by faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So there is a dominion the priest exercises over himself. Today I want to teach you about exercising priesthood in prayer. How do they rule? They rule primarily in prayer. Let's turn to First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. And we will look about prayer and what we need for this. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Remember the word understanding. Keep that at the back of your mind. I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with understanding. Verse 20, 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. Now this understanding is not talking about the understanding of your subjects. This is the understanding of God and his scriptures. So Paul is saying, I pray in the spirit. I pray with understanding. I pray in the spirit and I pray with understanding. Everybody prays. The atheist will pray when his death comes. Till then, he may profess not to pray, but when it comes very close, he also starts praying. To an unknown God, everyone prays. And every religion has priests. And it is through the priesthood either the enemy or God enforces his will or our father's will on earth. The real rulers you are seeing are not sitting in Delhi. They are not the real rulers. The Pharaoh was sitting on the throne. And he had, you couldn't even come into his presence without permission. And there is the Pharaoh sitting with his whole entourage over there. But when Moses came over there... And Aaron's rod was put down and it became a snake. He realized, he called the real ones who actually enforces victory. He called his magicians his priests. They are the ones who keep him in power don't think the people in sitting in Delhi and all these people are the ones who are actually ruling. No, there are unseen people who are interceding with powers of darkness or there is the actual living, believing church interceding with God to enforce the devil's will or God's will on earth. They are the real ones who reign. They are the real ones. Why is it that when you have exams every morning you call me for prayer? You studied for one year, right? You're so confident, right? But at the last hour, you know, if I have goofed up, there is somebody who can intervene. Not that. It works always. That's why I ask for mercy, integrity, faithfulness. In your prayer, you will be wondering, why does Pastor James have to say all these things? I only ask for marks. (laughs) Do you understand? How actually why the ministry of prayer is so important and Paul says, I pray in the spirit, I pray with understanding. So we are no different. Understand that. Remember Jesus' great answer, incredible answer, which is the most familiar prayer every average Christian knows. Teach us to pray. They knew his secret. Because when they walked, they fell asleep every time he prayed. But when they walked with him, they saw his dominion. He had dominion over de- demons. He had dominion over diseases. And he had dominion over supply, though most of the time he had no money with him. They saw his dominion. And they knew the reason is that he's exercising dominion in his life because of his prayer life. So they asked him this question, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw. And the incredible prayer life of Jesus is that even his last breath on the cross is a prayer, and he dies in triumph. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, Father, and he dies. It's triumph and end. His prayer life never ceases. Even on the cross, his last words are a prayer. So they tell him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is how he teaches us. All of us to pray and we root it or we memorize it and repeat it like a parrot. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter six, nine, Matthew nine. Okay. You all know it by heart. Since all those who have by hearted it, can we start our? Let us be a traditional church. Our father who art in hallowed be Okay, let's stop there. You got it? In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Remember that incredible promise given to Solomon when the temple was being dedicated? My house shall be called the house of prayer. And in this house, I will hear your prayer. But God said something. If my people called by my name. That's the first condition. You have to be his people called by his name. So when he teaches us to pray, be very sure he's your father. Be very sure he's your father. My father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. If my people call by name, by my name, that's the first condition. Otherwise, he's not going to answer. First condition is salvation. God has your father and in your baptism, you receive the name of God, his son's name. That's the first condition. If my people call by my name, this is a prayer only for children, only for his people. It is not for others. So the first condition to be met is that be sure you're a child of the living God. But you come down in this manner. Therefore, pray our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And verse 10 is the core, the center of the entire prayer. What is it? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you pray this prayer, which is they're asking you, teach us to pray. He gives them something and he says, this should be the center, the core of your prayer. What is it? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Did you get it? So the question God is saying, when you pray, what is the objective of your prayer? Children say, Lord, I want marks. God says, okay, I understand. But what is the objective of your marks? What is the objective behind that prayer? The objective of your prayer, every prayer, you have to be absolutely clear in your heart, in your mind, in your understanding. The ultimate objective of every prayer of mine is, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. What motivates your life? What motivates your prayer life? Thy will be done. Not my will. Because much of our prayers, the objective is my kingdom come and my will be done at your cost. That's not what he's taught. He made it very clear, the core prayer, that's the core of the prayer, the heart of that prayer. This is not a humanistic prayer. This is a Christ-centric prayer. The center of this prayer is God himself, his kingdom and his will. So God asks this question to us. What motivates you? What is the objective of your prayer? Connected to it is the rest. The rest of the prayer is all connected to this. Instead, our prayer list is so long connected to things which Jesus didn't even talk. Actually, if you look at verse 8, you will understand what I am talking about. Let's go to verse 8. Therefore, do not be like that. word just before he teaches us to pray, he said something. Please don't be like them, for your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Are you getting me? He say, okay, I understand you start with marks and job and wife and husband. I understand all that. But don't keep asking those things because your father all... He says, I am not a retard. I'm God. I'm your father. I already know what you need. Please, can you change your prayer life a little? What about me? What about my name? What about my kingdom? What about my will? This should be the center, the focus of your prayer life. I already know, before you even ask, like we only know today's need, we don't know tomorrow's need. He says, I know that too. Before you know, ask, I know. So what motivates us is the question. Are we motivated by his will? Are we motivated by his kingdom? Then he says, All your needs will be met. A simple line. Give us this day our daily bread. Simple line. All your needs will be met. You don't have to worry about it. But this is the will of God. Paul will write to the Thessalonian church. Your connected with sanctification is the rest of the prayer. Father, teach me to receive and give forgiveness. It's connected with your sanctification of your inner man. Lord. Lead me not into temptation. That's connected with your sanctification because that is the will of God. Deliver me from the power of the evil one because he is the one who will oppose me constantly so that through me your kingdom will not come. Deliver me from the power of the evil one because he opposes your kingdom, your will in my life and your work in my life and through my life. He is the opposer. And he opposes you and me at every turn. So you have to read that prayer in the context of verse 10. This is the core of it. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Then only it makes sense. Otherwise it doesn't make any sense at also So we pray Lord give me the eyes of understanding to understand the Lord's prayer. That this is what it is all about. And the evil one, Lord, deliver me from the power of the evil one. Because he is the one who opposes what? Your will in my life and the growth of your kingdom in my life. And he opposes. Don't ever think he will not. You know, remember Daniel? And listen to Daniel when he prayed. Who was opposing his prayer life? Look at Daniel 10. Then he said to me, this is angel Michael. Do not fear Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to... Ah, When you pray, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that and open the eyes of my understanding, there is an opposer who comes. The day you set to understand. That's why yesterday's which you got on WhatsApp. Reading your Bible itself is an act of war. Try reading it. Try reading it. It's an act of war. It's a spiritual battle to sit with this and read it and say, Lord, open my eyes. It's a war. Because there is somebody who opposes you the day you sit before and say, Lord, I want to understand. He says, the day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come because of your word." But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. You are asking for understanding. For 21 days, he is blocking you from the answer coming. And you are praying without giving up. Thank God we don't have to pray, struggle like Daniel. We have the Spirit of God in us. But how much do you value the Spirit of God to give you understanding, wisdom, knowledge and revelation? That's what God is asking about. The minute you set your heart to understand, a spiritual battle begins. The devil doesn't, ma- he doesn't care if you do your casual daily devotions, he will join you. He's not bothered. The day you decide, you, that's the key over there. He set your heart. This is a man who, all that's why God says, love your God with all your heart. Actually, one translation with all your understanding and all your strength. And trust God with all. This was a man who always set his heart right. The first thing you hear about Daniel is. A Daniel purposed in his heart. I will not defile myself. Next thing in his old age you hear. He has set his heart to understand things. Which he cannot understand from scripture. A man who set his heart. But when you set your heart on the things of God. Please don't ever think it is going to be easy. A battle begins. So when you pray. Lord give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of my understanding. Get ready for battle. Because if you mean it, God will answer. But the battle will begin. People do not realize prayer is battle. Most Christians do not have the strength or the skill to fight. They don't have. They don't have. They don't have. People who can sit and talk for three hours, four hours, cannot even pray for five minutes. People who can watch a movie or IPL, like Aesir was having his first meeting at LB Stadium. By the time he found out there was only 50 people, he went back home. Recent people had all gone to see IPL. People will sit forth... Three hours, four hours in burning, boiling heat and watch cricket. They cannot sit before more than 15 minutes with the word of God. Because it's a battle. It's a battle. And it's the truth. And you have to start fighting this battle. Prayer is a battle. You need perseverance and you need skill. In Luke chapter 18, this is about prayer that Jesus is talking about. He spoke a parable to them that men should always ought to pray and not lose. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Continue praying. And he gave a story, a parable. There was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And now there was a widow in that city. She came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. He would not for a while. But afterward, he said to himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me day and night. First thing in the morning as he coming to the courtroom, she's sitting by the gate. Justice. As he going, she's sitting there. If he has to go for his khana, she's sitting there. Persevere." justice, just so he says, take this woman, but lest her continual coming she weary me, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night, God says can you pray like that and it is in this context, God says, nevertheless when the son of man comes will He really find faith on earth do you find people of faith praying like that Will he find? People who never give up, they understood scripture, they understood the purpose of God, they see nothing, but they will not give up in prayer. Because they had understood prayer is war. And in war you don't give up until you have tasted victory. You don't retreat in this war. And that's what God is talking about. War. You need perseverance, you need skill to fight. Not enough. It is not enough you have perseverance. not enough you also need to understand how to persevere and how to fight this fight and yet persevere you need to know understand that's what paul will say in ephesians 6 look at ephesians 6 verse 17 and 18 now take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying always with all prayer he connects these two he says first put your helmet on very clearly okay before you start praying be sure your thoughts, your minds and your prayer is controlled by the word of God. It's not childish, emotional, sentimental prayers. No, it's controlled by the word of God. That's why he's telling us to meditate upon the word day and night. Know my word. Let your thinking be controlled by the put on the helmet of salvation. And what do you have? The sword of the spirit. That is the spirit empowered word of god the spirit will lead you to the word of god and that word of god is like though he created everything by the word of his mouth and by the breath of his spirit when that comes together what you and i are actually praying has the very power of god to change that's what he's talking about over there. A mind controlled by the word of God. And then prayer becomes war. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. The Holy Spirit comes right into your prayer life. It is not with a human understanding. Oh, I see my problems. Lord, I'm asking. God says, no. Go to my spirit. Go to my word. Don't look at your problems. Look into my word to what I say. And react according to the word. Let your prayer life change according to the word. And let my Holy Spirit empower you how to pray. And that's war. That is war. And one of the most beautiful, like I tell you, you know, spiritual truths are given in the Old New Testament. Physical pictures of these kind of battles are given in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, there is an incredible picture of a real battle taking place. You look at the scene in that battle about one of David's mighty men. And then you see, Lord, teach me to fight like him. This is the scene. After him was Eliasar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoyed, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. Okay? So God is telling to an individual over here. Everybody was supposed to be praying. They all retreated. They gave up. But you refused to leave. You decided I am not going to give praying. I I, I would love to have one or two or three. But even if there is nobody. I am going to do one thing. I am not going to stop praying. If it's me alone. I alone. I will persevere in prayer. That's what he is doing. He arose and attacked the Philistines. Until his hand was weary. And what happened? His hands stuck to the sword. He's weary. And KJV will say his hands claved to the sword. Meaning he was so weary. He was so tired. But he wouldn't stop fighting. And the sword wouldn't come out of his hand. His hand and the sword became one. Stuck. His hand was stuck to the sword. And the Philistines couldn't knock the sword off. And he wouldn't let go of the sword. The man and the word of God becomes one. That's what God is talking about. That's prayer. That's the end of prayer. Where the human being created in God's image, breathed by the spirit of God, and the word of God has become an extension of him. They have become one piece. That's what Ephesians Paul is talking about. Put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you have these beautiful pictures in the Old Testament to explain to us in the New Covenant because there they fought flesh and blood. Here we fight principalities, powers and rulers of darkness, not man. So they use physical weapons, we use spiritual weapons. And scripture says our weapons of warfare are strong. And if the church doesn't come back to prayer and to the word, there's nothing that's going to happen. Nothing going to happen. God will not do anything outside of man, outside of the church. He's already given it to the church. So you enforce it. You do it. He has positionally declared over all of us. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are what? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. It's a royal priesthood. What's the primary job of the priest to do? To pray and declare who God is. Let God give us understanding. Let God give us to understanding. This is the primary purpose of everyone who is in the kingdom of God. Most people will not be called to preach. But every person is called to pray and witness. Everybody. There is nobody. A man who does not pray is a man who does not breathe. You are dead while living. Let God give us understanding. That's what God is talking about. Prayer is like that. And our prayer life has to change. Because God has committed things into the hands of God. And God says persevere. Let's look at that. Look at that um, famous line. Remember Solomon said about Let us look at the context of it. Which God is actually telling them in that. You know, I will shut the heavens. And when all those things happen. This is what you need to do. That's the promise he gave to Solomon. Before that let's look at what he told to Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 11. Yeah. Lest the Lord's be aroused against you. He shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore you shall lay up all these words of mine in your heart, in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. What? Math? Science? This is what you are supposed to teach your children. Everywhere I go, I ask, I said, we all made the same mistakes, but your young parents don't make the mistake. But I'll ask you, which is your weak subject? Hindi. Which is your weak subject? You have a weak subject? Which one is? Math. English. Hindi. Okay? So, which subject do you get tuitions for? How many of you got tuitions for the Bible? Why? Because we didn't value it. We didn't value it. Why didn't we send our children or have a tuition master coming and teaching your child the word of God? That's how every Hebrew boy grew up. They were taught the word of God. And this is because God said, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gaze, meaning it should be. You live in an ambience which is created by the word of God. But what is the word there? Word 17. Let's go to word 17. Let... The Lord's anger be arose against you and you shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. He's talking about the actually over there where he says, If you don't listen to me, don't obey me, and go after other gods, what I will do is I will shut the heavens. Have you noticed that there's one thing alone man is not able to control? We tried cloud seeding and all this stuff. We are not able to bring rain. Even our irrigation systems fail when the summer is intense and the water dries. So there's one thing we are not able to do, control, bringing rain from heaven. And he shuts it up, it is shut up. Man is not able to open it. With all of our technology, we are not able to open it. And that's one of the things he said. I will shut up the heavens. Now in Second Chronicles chapter 7, this is what God is telling to Solomon. Yeah. Yeah. 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verses 12 to 14. Got it? Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. He didn't say, he didn't say if, he said when, because he knows us. Very well. You can give them as many rules as possible. They won't keep it. And when they don't keep it, I will have to finally shut the heavens. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, against whom? My people. Not against the world. My people. We, we, you know, there was uh, a profile on, I think, Ravi Moses. You're Ravi Moses, right? Yeah. Ravi Moses profile was very interesting. I just, you know, we all know Amos 3-3. Right? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? But have you read Amos 3-2? Uh, it's a very interesting. Amos 3-2. Yeah. Put it up, I'll put it up there and let's come back. It's a very interesting. I just, I look at profiles. That's how I understand the profile of a person. I look at the profile and it's on Amos 3-2. I said, hey, let me look at it. Amos 3-2. Not three, 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 two. You have only, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Did you see what God saying? For all these people, you alone are my child. Therefore, when you go wrong, I'm going to smack the daylights out of you. That's exactly what he's saying. Others, I will leave them alone. And when we are left alone, we think it as a sign of love. God says, I don't even consider you. I look at three, two. and I said, "Hey, let me go back. I remember back. What was it? Exactly I looked at it. He said, "Wow, what a life. What a comforting life. You alone, all the families of Earth, China, Japan, Korea, all these nations," he said to Israel, "You alone I have chosen. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities, because you are mine. All another all. All your iniquities. So let's go back to what he's saying to Solomon. When you, when I shut the heavens or send the locusts or pestilence, he says these are all the punishments for your iniquities, he says. Then if my people who are called by my name, God asks us four things to do and he says he will do three things if we obey. Four things you have to do, I have to do, we have to do, the church has to do, the people of God has to do. Who are called by name will first humble themselves to pray. Third, seek my face. And four, turn from their wicked ways. If you do these four, he says, I will hear from heaven. First, I will hear your heaven, prayer from heaven. Two, I will forgive their sin. And third, I will heal your land. Three things God will do, four things we are asked to do. So you have to look at what God told Solomon, what God told through Jesus, what God told through Moses. You will see it's all consistent. There's no inconsistency in the kingdom of God. So he says, first thing you need to is to humble yourself. Pray. Seek my face. And turn from your wicked ways. Now most of us fall at the First line. I told you, if you only cross the first line, you can go to the... You don't jump into prayer. No, you don't. You first humble yourself. That is, no, this is like the, what you call, that race. Hurdles? The first hurdle you have to cross is, how do I humble myself? That doesn't mean you walk like this. Oh, I am so humble. And if you are a Malayali, you are a humble person. That's not what God is talking about. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 and verse 8. He gives more grace. Therefore God says, he says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So humbling is submitting to God. Look at verse 10. Draw near. No, no. Yeah. 10. Humble yourself in the sight of God. Not in the sight of man. Humble yourself in the sight of God. How do I submit under the mighty hand of God? How do I humble myself in the sight of God? Simple thing is that I humble myself before his word. That is the physical manifestation of God which I have with me. The one thing of God every one of us has with us is his word. And a man or a woman or a child who doesn't humble himself or herself before the word of God cannot actually pray. Cannot actually really pray. That is what actually faith means. Remember the four things about faith? Faith comes from hearing from thee. My just shall and my righteous shall. Live by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hear, walk, live, please. You humble yourself before the word. Because it begins with the hearing of the word of God. I heard your word. I believe. I obey. I believe. I obey. I don't bring human understanding into that. I don't bring worldly understanding. I don't bring parental understanding. I don't bring secular humanism. I don't bring anything into it. I will look in isolation at what you have said and I receive it in its totality. That's all. That's what Scripture says God appeared to Abraham and told him leave. And Scripture says he obeyed by faith without knowing where he was going. And at every level resistance will come. The devil will use resistance from all kinds of means. It's not that the devil himself will come and resist you. Then you know it is the devil. No. He will resist you through well-meaning people. Abraham faced the first resistance to the walk of faith from his own father. Not from anybody else. The people in the community did not say, Aray Abraham, madjana, madjana. They didn't tell him. His father left with him and after some time said, I'm not going. Stay here with me. And he got stuck. So the resistance didn't bring from outside. The resistance was worked from inside. So you have to understand what it means. But will you listen to what God has said is the question. Will you in isolation to God's word and word alone. So you have to look at it at a personal setting. You also have to look at it at a corporate setting about what. Prayer and faith means a prayer that will humble itself. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 13. It is personal, it is corporate. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What is the church? People talk about unity, 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 unity. The first unity the Bible talks about is the unity of faith. That comes from the word. How are we becoming more and more and more one? By the word. And the church today is not united. I am not talking about our church. The church anywhere is because they will listen to 13 different pastors who will speak 13 contradictory things from the word. And so the heart itself is disunited. So they do not know. While David's prayer is, Lord, unite my heart in your truth, you are not, you don't know what is true. So God is talking about the first unity is the unity of the faith. That does not come from a knowledge of certain things. It comes from the knowledge of the son of God. This is who God is. This is who Christ is. And When our understanding of Christ is the same, this is who he is. And he is the visible representation of God the father. There is a unity that comes. That is the first unity. First, that unity has to be in me. Lord, when I read your word, I am searching for you. Because Jesus said, don't you understand? The scriptures speak about me. That's what you look for in this. You look for him. And when we are all searching for him and find him, he's always the same. And we are united in faith in the knowledge of of the son. Of Jesus Christ. The second unity he talks about is in four, uh, three. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of the Spirit. It is not enough that you are united by the Word. We are also united by the Spirit. The same Spirit. Same Spirit. And this is a fundamental issue in the kingdom of God, in the word of God. You need to realize, people sometimes don't understand, people in leadership, the decisions they take are based on the word of God. There could be an adulterer, there could be a murderer, there could be this thing and all, when they repent and God, you put it all right. But scripture says in the Bible, when there are people in your midst who cause division, one warning, two warning, cut them off and treat them like a Gentile. Never reconcile with them. Because they are more dangerous than the others. These are scriptural means with the church here. And this means nothing today, but it meant everything then. Because every town had only one church. And if you, let's say Jyoti was disciplined and kicked out of the church, she was a dead woman living. Nobody in the church would fellowship with her. That would make her to come to her knees and cry out for repentance and come back with no conditions because she wants to be back. Today they have 10 churches who will invite and say, come, 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 we'll make you an elder also. That is how we have to understand because the thing is that this is so important. Faith and the spirit. That's why you always have to look. What is motive? What is intention? What is intention? What is motive? What is the purpose behind all that is happening? What is the purpose? And church leadership always look at intent first. And not anything else. And that's what Paul is talking about. Because only a church or a man. Individual or a church. Or a set of people. Fellowship. Who is united in faith. And united in spirit can actually, really, truly pray and enforce the will of God on earth. Only they can. That is what God was doing. God doesn't need numbers in this battle. God's victory does not come from numbers. God's victory comes through a set of people who are united in their heart with him. That's what you told Gideon. You got too many people. Let them go. Who should go first? Tell them, all who are afraid, leave. Now they were all standing like that. So Gideon said, Arey, all strong. He said, fearful, leave 22,000 left. There were 10,000 left. He said, that's also too much enough. Second, take them to the water. The water is the word of God. He says, divide them at the water. Let the word of God divide them by the time the water of the word of God has divided, only 300 are left. Only 300 are left. Oh, gone 9,700 left. But these 300 left were united with God and with Gideon. Both. You know, when they went to fight, they said, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. That's all they said. Sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. God says, I give the Philistines into your hands. Go win. You don't even have to do anything. Break the trump, this thing and blow the, tr- does show the uh, light. Torch. And God started fighting. What was God trying to do there? He was trying to bring a set of people who were united in faith and united in spirit. That's what Jesus did. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, multitude followed him, followed him, followed him with all their carnal needs. He asked them, what do you want? 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 want?" They all said, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. And he gave them. They are the jimmies of the first century. He gave them. But to some he said, you follow me. You follow me. You follow me. Scripture says they left everything and followed him. At the end he had only 11. He had only 11. But on the day of when uh, forty days after resurrection, he just gave them a simple command. Paul will send the book of Corinthians. The Lord who appeared, who rose, appeared to over five hundred of us, and finally to me has born out of turn. He will say, over five hundred plus disciples, Jesus had appeared after he was resurrected, but he only gave them one simple command. What is that? What? Wait. How difficult is to obey weight? How difficult is to understand weight when God says, wait, wait, don't do anything. But 380 plus did not wait. So at the word, they were divided. Only 120 were there. It's a very simple thing. Very simple thing. Wait. A man. Call Saul lost his kingship because he did not understand the meaning of that one word, wait till the priest comes. Wait. It can cost you your crown in eternity if you do not understand when God says, wait, only thing you do is wait, don't move. They did not wait. They did not wait. 120 Waited. And again, you have to remember, they were told not only to wait, you have to listen to God carefully. That's what's important. Wait. And he said, wait in Jerusalem. Where did he speak to them? Wait in Jerusalem. At Bethany. He didn't speak to them at Jerusalem. At Bethany. But those who waited went from Bethany to Jerusalem and waited. Not only should you wait, you should wait at the appointed place. At the appointed place. That's hearing, clarity, obedience without any any misunderstanding. Lord, this is what you told me. And scripture says, when that 120 started waiting, what is God first doing with them? In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, how did they wait? They waited with one accord in prayer and supplication. First work God is doing among them is, let me bring a unity of faith among you. And a unity of spirit among you. That's the first thing he's doing. Come. Let me unite your heart with me. First 10 days work of Jesus Christ. The spirit of God before his manifestation came upon them. The first 10 days of work after Jesus rose to heaven. is bringing them into one accord. And chapter 2 and verse 1. At the end of the 10th day. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with One accord in one place. One accord in one place. Not that they were all. One accord in ten places. Let us have a group chat please. No, no group chat. One accord in one place. And the Holy Spirit came down. That is how you understand the promises given in the Old Testament is coming true in the New Covenant. What was the Old Testament promise which never happened in Israel? Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold how good and blessed it is for the brethren to dwell together in? Ah, after that, what are the subsequent lines? It is like oil. Uh, whose head? Down to his? Down to his? Ah, oh, the oil flowed from the head of Jesus and onto the church. One in unity. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And a hundred of twenty of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first Institute of Foreign Languages began. Iflu. Original Iflu began. There they go there, spend five years to learn a foreign language. There in one day, all of them are speaking in foreign languages. No fees, no hostel fees, mess free, everything free. You want to learn a foreign language? Go to Jesus. It's free. That's how the church began. And from that day, when the Holy Spirit came upon a set of people who had been united in faith and in the spirit and in prayer, the church Began to rain. It started raining. One man. All of them who were fighting before that. Right hand, left hand. All that. But someone probably wanted to sit on his shoulder also. Because two sides are gone. No? Now scripture says. They stood as one. And Peter stepped forward. And he spoke. And when he spoke. The Holy Spirit came upon his word. And the battle began. The church started raining on earth. What happened in that battle? What is the end of a battle? You get prisoners. spoil. 3,000 prisoners were set free from the camp of the devil, from the camp of darkness. Brought into the camp of Jesus and into the camp of light. And battle began. The church started raining. That's the real raining. That's a real reigning. That is what he's talking about. The church reigns. The church doesn't lose people. The church gains people. It's hell who loses people. It's the kingdom of darkness that loses people. The church only gains. That's what is reigning it is called. This is real war. This is the real trophy. If you're fighting for some real trophy, that is real. In Ephesians 4 verse 8, when Jesus rose from the dead, he did not take gold bars and silver bars from earth. This is what he took. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he left, led captivity captive. All the souls were captive for 4,000 years because death had power over them. He broke the power of death and took them as a train to heaven. Souls were set free. That was what he took. That's what God is talking about. Because the devil is after souls and he wants to hold them and take them to hell with him. God also is after souls. He wants to free them and take them to heaven with him. And the devil can keep souls. If he can keep the souls, let me tell you this. Listen carefully young ones. If the devil can keep the souls, he will give you anything in return for your soul and for souls. If you can keep your soul. Anything. That's a promise. That's a. The, that's a, what he told Jesus. All this is mine. Worship me. I'll give it to you. Jesus knew if you worshipped him. His soul is gone. The devil will give you anything. If he can hold on to your soul. Or he can hold on to souls. Therefore you have an age. The last age permeated by false gospels false preachers false gifts, false tongues and false churches because the devil is after souls he will give you all the money you want and all that money can buy and you actually without realizing end up serving mammon and not Christ this is exactly what the devil You have to see the pictures in the Old Testament to understand these pictures in the New Testament. This is exactly what the devil, through the king of Sodom, told Abraham. Abraham had come back. He had gone to rescue his nephew. Rescued, come back, met Melchizedek. Melchizedek gave him bread and wine. And the king of Sodom meets him. And this is what he said. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons and keep the gold. Give me the persons. Give me. You can keep that goods. Give me the people. Understand how the false gospel preaches. The false gospel is man-centric and centered on a physical, material prosperity, success. It will eat your soul at the end. Now you tell me, in what way are the prayer requests of multitudes in the church different from the prayer requests of the multitudes who followed Jesus. What is different? Nothing. What do you want? Let us look at the average issue of any average man in any part of the country. Let it be England, America. England is going through birth pangs. They don't know whether to exit or stay in Brexit. And it is not natural. It is spiritual because Britain has to exit the UU. Because prophetically, America is Ephraim and UK is Manasseh. They have to come together. God put the younger ahead of the other. That's only the reason America prospered. And they are fighting the other demonic side over there is fighting to keep UK with EU. While inside there is a churning going to break away from EU and to be joined with America. But these are all prophetic pictures we are seeing coming to place. What that old man Jacob who was Israel in his old age with blind eyes when he put his hand like this and he said, it's playing out now before our eyes. That's how prophecy works out. So the question is, any part of the world you look at, India elections, that's all the elections is all about. What do you want? Uh, We want food security. We want water. We want health care. We want good schools, education for free education, the better. That is AOC. Jobs. Isn't that what everybody wants? When these are where your eyes are, the government becomes your God. Government becomes your God. Because the only power... You and I have when you turn 18 is the power to choose somebody. And we all, like the children of Israel, vote with our bellies and not with our soul. Not with our soul. Because we haven't understood what is important. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of man. In the kingdom of a man, what is important? Food, water, job security, jobs, education. All these are important. In the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we look up to government and not to Christ. And if you look at any of these things, food, water, health care, education, jobs, add anything to that list. They all touch only your body which is temporary. None of this touch your soul. I haven't seen anybody eat, drinking for your soul, eating for your soul, studying for your soul, finding a job for your soul, want health care for your soul. No, these are all connected with your body. And this is exactly the promise Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything that you need for the body, I will add. Put your soul first. Because the eternal part of you is your soul. And the false gospel comes and points to the body of man. The needs of the body of man. And subverts the power of the holy kingdom. To meet the needs of the body. And leaves the soul aside. That's the perversion of the gospel. Putting the cart before the horse. Yet Christ promised. The old testament and the new testament. To Israel and to the church. If my people. Or oh, call by my name. Will humble yourself. Can we humble ourselves before the word of God and believe that actually if I seek God first and His righteousness first, He will add all these things. It's not easy. It is not easy. I told Pastor Vidya and I, we discuss every, we talk every day. We talk these topics. I said, Pastor Vidya, I'll tell you, there are only two ways this will happen in a man's life. And both ways are not right. One is absolutely right. The other is okay compared to other ways. Either a man has a lot of money and he loves the kingdom and the Lord. And he says, what's the point in working anymore? I got anyway plenty, so I will go serve the Lord. But his backup is what? And there is the other man, he has neither money and he has aspirations, but he said, you know what, if you are real, I am throwing myself headlong into it, and I believe. Both serve the Lord. But the serving is different. That is why this gospel and walk of faith is very scary. Unless you know God. So we change the gospel of Melchizedek to the gospel of Berah. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem. Melchizedek Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Jerusalem means peace. So who is Melchizedek? The prince of peace and the prince of righteousness. Who is that? Jesus. So we turn that gospel to the gospel according to Berah. Take all the goods, give me the souls. So what has churches become? Cemeteries. Filled with people who think they are going to heaven, but who are going to hell. Because they have believed a false gospel. A false gospel. And we boast about our crowds. And our wealth. And all our gadgets. And our gifts. Nonsense. Where the word is false. Let me tell you. Every gift also is false. You cannot have a false word and a true gift. It is not possible because the Holy Spirit works only in conjunction with the word. So if the word is false, let me tell you, the spirit is false. The gift is false. Because the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And salvation is the salvation of the soul, not the body. There is no salvation for this body. The problem is, the market is flooded with Chinese goods. They are so good, and people are so blinded, they don't know which is fake and which is real. Because unless the fake is so close to the real, you cannot market it. cannot market it. And the king, the world is full of false Chinese goods, false gospel. But in China, the gospel is true. That's a funny thing. China, the gospel is true. But in the free world, you just think about this. Honestly, think about this. If you hear the gospel that is being preached today, okay, the preach about prosperity and health and wealth and all, you go preach it in China, in North Korea, in Saudi, in Iraq, in Iran, in Syria, in Egypt, In any of these places, they will laugh at your face. They will laugh at your face. They will say, our flesh and blood is lying in the labor camps and lying in prison for years. Our pastors did not die for this gospel. They didn't die for this gospel. If this was the gospel, then there is a communist party, approved churches overground. We can go there. This is the gospel that is preached there. So be very careful, because if you do not know your word, your prayer life will be totally ineffective. And because your prayer is all connected with these things, and all the answers are coming, you do not realize you are deceived, because you do not understand his word or the God of the word. So the apostles, after Pentecost, everything fell into place. And you will see in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there also rose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, which are Greeks, Gentiles, because the widows were neglected in daily distribution. Samasya? Pietika. See, everywhere, whether it is in the wilderness or the first day acts, how did the devil enter into the camp? Through the stomach. It is through the stomach she is getting more i am getting less we used to eat that now we are eating only this that's where it started what did the apostles say then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it is not desirable that we should what leave the word of god and serve tables therefore brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the holy spirit and wisdom who we may appoint in this over this business but we will give ourselves continually to what and ah, they put it on par. All the feeding programs in the world is not going to bring one soul into the kingdom of God. Let me tell you that. Not. If the soul is untouched, it doesn't matter what else you do. It's not going to make any difference in eternity. There was a 40 year, let us put in today's thing, Government-sponsored 40-year feeding program in the desert: free food, free water, free clothes, free sandals. At the end of that day, how many people were included among adults in that feeding program? Six hundred thousand, five lakh, ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight did not cross the line; fell on this side. The feeding program did not help because the word they heard never entered into their soul. Did not. Because the gospel is the gospel of the soul. So the question God asked first is, before you pray, if my people who are called by my name pray, he said, no, humble yourself before this. I bent my knee before this. This is true, Lord. I take it. Not a word. What I don't understand, doesn't matter. When I understand, I will obey it. But this is your word. And this is true. This is eternal. Can we humble ourselves before the word? Can we? Can we persevere in word and prayer? We will give ourselves ah continually to prayer and to the word. I tell all the pastors, this, year, this, this week I probably met another 250 pastors. One thing I tell them, if you are not praying, you are playing. What are you doing? You have to be separated unto prayer and to the word. There is no You cannot negotiate with this. Are you called to to the ministry? Then this is the twofold ministry. To prayer and to the word. But to pray first you have to humble yourself before the word. Then only you know what to pray and how to pray. Can you humble yourself before the word? Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on this multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Then, if I send them away hungry to their own house, they will come on the way for some of them have come from... Let me ask you this question to 21st century generation. How far will you go for the word? And how long will you tarry with the word? For three days this crowd hasn't eaten. Because they have been listening to his word. Do you believe one one and a half hour word is too long for you? Look at this crowd. He had compassion on them. He said, they have followed me for three days. And they have come from far. Now they are hungry. Even for pastors, you have to give them breakfast, lunch, dinner, and tea and DA before they will listen to the word. But these are a people who followed him for three days for the word. And he had compassion on them. So the question we look into this and ask is, how far will we go? And verse 2. It says, they have followed me for how many days? Three days. What was he doing? Teaching, teaching. Do you value? They have continued with me for three days. Can we? If you value your soul and you value the word above everything else, you will continue. You will continue. And it's very difficult to preach the actual gospel to a compromised generation. Compromised by humanism. And we don't realize what is controlling our thinking is humanism and secularism. And feminism and socialism and communism and all the isms and not the word of God. Not the word of God. So the question God asks is, how far will you go? How long will you tarry? And we are the kingdom of priests. God says, will you humble yourself? Seek my face? He didn't say pray first. He said, humble yourself and seek my face. Where else can you see the face of God other than in the face of Christ? And where else can the Spirit show you the face of Christ other than in the word of Christ? Where else? Are you going to find it in Oxford? Are you going to find it in Cambridge? Are you going to find it in Howard? Do this. Nowhere else. Seek my face. Because scriptures, it's through scriptures, It is a revelation of Christ. You know, Peter says, remember that incredible thing Peter says? Oh, I am one of that select few. I saw his glory. On that mountain, I saw his glory. I know what I am talking about. I saw his glory. But he said, but we have... Much more sure word of God. He says, I'm not even banking my faith on my experience on that mountaintop. I'm hanging on to the word he has spoken. And if you ask Peter, if Peter were to be stand here today, we will say, Peter, which word? He says, much of the word I'm hanging on is the word preached through Paul. And do you understand it all? No, he'll say, sorry, Paul speaks stuff I also don't understand, but I believe it because his word is scripture. Because that is a man whose word and his spirit has been aligned. Word and spirit has been aligned. So God is using my younger brother to write scripture while I'm preaching his word. Humble people. Humble people. That's what God is saying. Because the focus of our prayer life has become self. And all our prayers are centered on the body. And to that man, Jesus said, you fool. You have gathered so much for your body. Did you think about your soul? Did you think about it? You fool. Your soul will be asked of account today. Then what happens? Food for the stomach? Stomach for the food? Body? Sorry, food for the stomach? And stomach for the? Both will be? So you know scripture very well. Food for the body? Body for the food. Clothes for the body? Body for the clothes. House for the body? Body for the house. Car for the body? Body for the car. Jobs for the body? Body for the jobs. Healing for the body? Body for healing. Education for the body? Body for education. You tell me any of these things which you are actually pursuing, what touches the soul? Nothing. So how did we pervert this gospel and made it the gospel of the body? Every sign Jesus did to touch their body was to show the power of the kingdom so that their soul would be saved. And they would turn full with their whole soul to God. But we made it into, into a body. How much... And even if you received all this in the body, the question again is, how much of the body is surrendered for the will of God? What does Romans 12.1 say? Brothers, in sight of God's mercies, offer your bodies. As a? oh no. There is no sacrifice there. Are we seeing where we are getting understanding? Our prayer life has to change, but for prayer life to change, our understanding of the gospel has to change. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things and the evidence of things. Oh, there are two unseen. One unseen is my temporary tomorrow. The other is the eternal. People have taken this unseen and made it into temporary. I'm believing for the car I don't have. I Go work hard, take a loan and buy a car. You don't have to believe so much for that. If you want to believe for a mansion up there, over there, you will have to walk by faith. You want a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, and the shepherd's crown, boy, you have to walk by faith. Humble yourself and seek his faith. There, you need f- faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. What are you hoping for? In the Bible, the, all the hope is connected with the glory that is coming with the coming age. What is your glory? Your job? Your salary statement, your big house, the EMI's you are paying, is that your glory? You show off or you're looking at that glory over there. What is that you hope for? That's why Paul said in Corinthians 15, 19, right? What did he say? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most miserable. Most miserable. Let me read to you yesterday's one advertisement I got from another country. Somebody, I'm not mentioning who sent it, but somebody sent it to me. Very funny, okay. Very funny. This is Sunday service. Okay. Healing Grain Mission for Eternity, World Mystery Center, Wealth and Wisdom Convention, Divine Supply for an Effective and Effortless Life. Okay, topics to be discussed Ministry, anointing, plus money. How to get God to move men to favor you financially. Starting a business ministry, church without making money answer you. Participation fee, one thousand. So my answer to that man was that, if you believe without effortlessly money coming, why are you charging the participants? You're contradicting yourself. Do you see how people are so blindly fooled? So blindly fooled because they do not have understanding of the scripture. And churches have lost its power because the Holy Spirit refused to stand witness to this. If in this life only you have hope for Christ, you are the most miserable. Faith is the most powerful gift God has given us. By faith Romans five, you have access to grace. That's the divine power of God. And scripture says through that divine power he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And through these exceedingly great promises you can tap into actually the divine nature of God. And escape the corruption in the world. Instead we have turned faith into a hack job to get things out of God. No wonder our souls are dried up. Souls are dried up. The problem is this. When your and my eyes are on the body, that is the temporal needs. That's why Jesus said, don't, please don't worry what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Because he said, who goes after these things? Pagans. He says the difference between the children of God and the pagans is the pagans run after material things and God's children run after the kingdom and his righteousness. That's the dividing line. He says pagans run after this thing because they do not know God as their father. That's what he's talking about. The problem is when we start focusing on the body and the needs of the body and those needs start getting answered by naming and claiming and shaming and all that. There is a problem because the very body is also where the flesh dwells. That is why there is no redemption for the body because when sin entered, flesh came into being. It's the very body where the flesh enters. And listen to people when they started prospering in the body without a prospering in the soul, what happened to them? Look at the list given there. For the Lord's portion is people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of this eye, as eagle starts a pis hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. God is talking about Israel. So the Lord alone led him. There was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle, milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes, but, jeshurun is Israel. All the blessings of God connected with the body and Jeshurun grew fat. And what did he do? Okay. You grew fat. You grew thick. You are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. That's what happens. That's what he does. That is what he does. That is why if there is a spiritual discipline in the new covenant, it is not feasting, it is fasting. So that this doesn't affect your body. You constantly have taken the discipline of fasting so that you know this world and these things do not permeate into my body and into my soul. And one day I turn around and do not esteem the rock of my salvation. And I kick against God. Eat my people? Call by my name? Call by my name? What did David say? David said, I've humbled my soul through fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, not if. When means it's your discipline. Let me ask you this question, Mr. Believer, sitting over. Is fasting your discipline? Or is feasting your discipline? Do you fast? If you don't, We cannot humble ourselves because the first thing is humble. First, you humble before the word. Second, you humble your soul by fasting in your body. So the soul is activated by fasting your body so that you can have clarity when God speaks to you. That's why I said in the modern gospel, man is the center and body is God. That's why we all have full length mirrors. And wherever we go, we carry a mirror in our purse. Because body is God. Humanism is the modern religion. Because humanism is the religion of humans. It empowers the flesh. That's the problem with the body. Remember what God spoke through Ezekiel hundreds and hundreds of years later. Ezekiel 16 verse 49 and 50. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She as her daughter had... Pride. The opposite of humility. Who is a proud man? Not a guy who has a big job or a big money. He's a man who will not listen to this. He's a proud man. Who will not humble before this is a proud man in God's heart, eyes. This is which will decide whether you are proud or humble. This is what decides. She was proud. She and her daughter had pride and what? Fullness of food and abundance of Idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Do you understand? This is the problem. If your soul is not getting fed and strong, what happens when the body gets overfed, automatically the flesh starts getting affected and the flesh starts looking for entertainment in sin. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah, this was the disease. The symptom was homosexuality. All these sexual sins and other sins and all were never found originally among the poor. It was always found among the rich. Because what wealth does is to an unsurrendered soul, wealth gives him or her autonomy from Christ. That's why God said you cannot serve God and mammon. Autonomy. It's not that wealth is bad. But very few people in the Bible could actually handle wealth and be totally be surrendered to God. That's when sin begins. That's when sin is empowered. That's why God says my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. One of the first ways you humble, you humble before the word. Second, you humble by fasting. Look at that five days fasting and the teaching on fasting. It's interesting in the wilderness also. The struggle, conflict began with food. And in the apostolic church also, the conflict began with food. Food for the body versus food for the soul. Are you getting the picture? Where? Because this, the first line is humbling. There itself people fall. Another way you humble is food. Second, where you humble yourself is your reputation. Your reputation. Second stumbling is after food all has been given and people are judgment, some meat came through the nose, some people died and all. Now food complaint is stopped. Immediately reputation. What is Reputation. Are you the only one through which God speaks? Are you the only one? Meaning? You think you are the only one who has a reputation? What about my reputation? See, it it began with Aaron and Miriam. When it began with Aaron and Miriam, because Miriam is the oldest sister, Aaron is the older brother, but the problem is the younger fellow was called. And everything they got, it was through him. Spiritual gifts. But the issue is that, we are not getting that reputation. No, okay, I also were tried going to the tent of the meeting to pray, but nobody came out to look. That's the problem. See, when Moses went out to pray, everybody came and looked. If Miriam meant to pray, everybody came, not Miriam would be looking, ah, oh, everybody is there, good, hallelujah, Lord. That is the problem. You want a reputation. But your reputation doesn't come because you pray. Your reputation comes because you, when you went to pray, God came to listen to you. That's where your reputation comes from. So you start picking on him. Let us look at him. Uh, let me see. What can I... Oh, yeah. fellow is married a Kushite woman. Earlier was a Midianite woman. Now it's a Kushite woman. So what do you think? Look at me. My is a Hebrew wife and mine is a Hebrew husband. Your wife is Kushite. Reputation. This is our problem. We are not able to humble ourselves. We know that is true. But I will not listen. I will not listen. My people who are called by my name. Do you seek a reputation outside his name? Isn't that enough? Aren't we content that the fact that he gave us his name? And do you know about him? In Hebrews one six says, he who, Philippians will say actually, he who was equal with God, who did not consider equality to be held on to, about him, this is what God says. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says to all the angels of the Lord, worship him. What does God tell the angels? Worship Jesus. What does God say about Jesus in Hebrews 1.8? Oh, son, he says, o, your throne of God is forever and ever. And the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And verses 10 to 12. And you, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, but like a clock, you will fold them up. They will be changed, but you are the same. For your ears will not fail. Who is talking about whom? God is talking about Jesus. Yet scripture says, He who was God made himself of no reputation. Can you humble yourself? How can you humble yourself and seek a reputation at the same time? It's self-contradictory. It's impossible. So you see, if you actually start understanding scripture, you go before God helpless and say, Lord, I'm not even ready to pray. I'm not even ready to discharge my duties as a priest. Open my eyes, O oh Lord. Our prayers. He's such a loving, gracious father. So he indulges us because we are like infants before him. It's okay, you pray. Our prayers are like that old preacher said, no, Lord, bless me and my wife. My son Johnny and his wife, us for and no more. Look at most of our prayers. We are not functioning as priests praise, changing destinies of nations. That's what the church does. Listen to what God told to that man. Abraham, old man. How old is he? 100 years old. Look to the king is standing before the old man. And to the old man and to the king. This is what God tells the, the king. Now restore that man's wife for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die. And all who are yours. God is looking at him and says, do you know that man? Your life. Is in his hands. You think you are king, but you don't know he is my priest. You think you reign over this nation. You do not know you are alive because of him. You deny him, you are a dead man in your whole household. You think you reign, he reigns in prayer. you understand how we function? The authority released in prayer of a surrendered soul. Abraham made lots of mistakes in his life. But if you look into Abraham's life, God overruled every mistake of Abraham's because he was surrendered. If you are surrendered to God, he will overrule your mistakes. But if you are not surrendered to God, even your good things he will not acknowledge. Because it's your glory and not his glory. That's the problem. External prosperity brings an independence from God. And it is a curse if it brings independence from God. That's what Psalm 106 and verse 15 says. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And the state of your soul is seen in your ministry of prayer and your ministry of word. Because both are spiritual entities. Both prayer and word are issues of the soul, of the spirit. And if you cannot persevere in prayer, persevere in the word, that means your soul is wasted away. It doesn't matter how strong you look in the body. You are a wuss in the spiritual realm. You can do nothing. The devil will kick you over with one this thing. One turmoil in your life, you are gone. Your prayer is gone. Everything is gone. Your faith is gone. Your church going is gone. Everything is gone because your soul has wasted away. And God says, no, that's not your call. That's not your call. If your soul has wasted away, you should ask God, what did I ask you, Lord, all these years? What did I ask you? There's an incredible translation called uh, Young's Literal Translation. It's a literal translation. I want you to read. This is about Joseph, okay? This is a literal translation of a man who had these visions and dreams given his men to reign in life, sold by his brother, slave, prisoner, everything. This is what he says. YLT, okay? He had sent before a man, a servant had Joseph been sold. They have afflicted with fetters in his feet and iron has entered his soul. Till the time of the coming of his word, the saying of Yahweh has tried him. The iron that was put around his necks and his feet, you cannot break it, it's iron. But what happened is, as he walked by faith with those fetters, the very nature of the iron entered into his soul. His soul was framed by iron, so he didn't buckle under pressure. That's the man who was destined to reign. The question to you is, how is your soul? How is your soul? How is your soul? How is your soul? That is Joseph. The first fellow to pursue the gospel of prosperity was Uncle Jacob. He was the big dealer with God. You bring me, you bless me, you take me. 10% paka. Guaranteed. That's all. When he was fighting for all these inheritance and blessings, he was only thinking of material blessings. Remember. He got everything he wanted. Blessed beyond description. Now he has to go back. The problem is when he has to go back, he realized... Soul has melted away. No iron in his soul. No strength in his soul. Because he sent servants to check territory. And they came said, Your brother is coming with 400 servants. Are you appa gone? Listen to what he says. Look at Genesis. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau. he's also coming to meet you. 400 men are with him. Jacob was greatly afraid. And distressed, he divided the people that were with him, the flocks and herds and camels, into two companies. He said, if Esau comes to one company, attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. That's when some people become very devout in their prayer and remember all their rich and varied heritage. Remember we all pledged in our assembly, remember? Jacob is remembering his heritage. Okay, You said Lord to me. Return to your country. To your family. I will dwell, deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least. Of all the mercies. Of all the truth. Which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan. With my staff. Now I have become two companies. Deliver me I pray. From the hand of my brother. From the hand of Esau. For I fear him. Lest he come and attack me. And the mother with the children. For you said. I will surely treat you well. He is claiming onto every promise he can. So my question to you Jacob is. What did 20 years of prosperity do to you? You got wealth beyond. You got children. You got servants. You got all this. You cannot withstand one fight. Then you have to look at the context in which he's saying this. That is the most shameful part. You didn't see the beginning of chapter 32. Look at chapter 32. Jacob went on the way and who met him? Not angel angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp and he called the name of the place. What does Mahania means? means two camps. God looked at Jacob. He knew this man was afraid. You know what he sent? He sent two battalions of angels to protect Jacob because in Jacob is Israel. In Israel is Jesus. Protect my son. Two camps of angels guarding him. With two battalions of angels guarding him, he "Yo, oh, I can't go. And he divided his company into two. When God has sent him two companies of angels, he divided his company into two. He says he, one is sick, the other will escape. So all angelic intervention and all is not going to do any difference in your attitude if your soul has wasted away. So God has a plan on this man. So what God does is that instead of the angels of the Lord, the angel of the Lord himself comes to strengthen him up. Jesus himself comes. And that what is changes him. He breaks himself. Now he's is Israel. And he's limping. Broken. And humbled. He sought his face. And he said, I shall name this place Peniel. Because I have seen his face. When he's standing for. He's a weak man. When he's limp. Broken, humble, he says, I saw you. If my people call by my name, humble themselves and seek my face. The next day what you see is a limping Jacob running to meet Esau. Because there is no fear. Humble people are not afraid. Proud people are afraid. Because they are always trying to protect a false reputation. Humility and fearlessness goes together. How many people don't fear? Because they have nothing to lose. They have already lost everything at the foot of the cross. They have nothing to lose. Do we get today's message? As I say clothes. Close. This will be continued. Agli bhag Agli bhaare. But I let me give you one thing. Hebrews 13, 15. This is just to open your eyes a little. Okay? This is, I will always try as the Lord leads me. Wisdom, knowledge and understanding and revelation. I will give you a little revelation. Okay? Revelation is different. Unless God reveals you, you and I will never see it. We can go right over it and miss it. Okay, I'll show you. Hebrews 13. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You see, in the Bible, fasting, prayer, and praise are combined. You cannot pray without praising. Okay? You cannot pray without praising. Genuine prayer will always begin and end with praise. But why does God say praise? Habakkuk prayed and praised. And at the end of his praise, he said, he made my feet like the feet of the deer and I have ascended to the high place. Jehoshaphat went and showed his weaknesses and prayed. And then he went out and he praised. And God fought the battle for them. Right? David prayed and he praised. Paul and Silas in the prison at the midnight hour, they prayed and they praised. What is the nature of praise? Why does God tell you to praise? Revelation. I believe this is what happened. Okay, I personally believe this is what happened. Children of Israel at the edge of the Red Sea. Panicking, panicking, panicking. Almost ready for a riot. The Pharaoh and the armies are coming. The Red Sea before them. And God tells Moses. Stretch your hand. And I believe Moses is standing at a very high elevated place. And he lifted his hands. And the Spirit of God, like a breath, comes and opens the Red Sea before him. Trembling, fearful, the people are moving, pushing this thing and all. And I actually believe this is what happened. From his lips, a song started arising. We call it the song of Moses afterwards. Sorry, Miriam. But it's not Miriam's song. It is the song of Moses. Go back and read the introduction to the song of Moses. I believe he started. This is what happens. Actually, if you have read military history, when the battle is thick and the soldiers are ready to retreat, somebody in the battalion will start singing. Suddenly, rank by rank by rank by, they pick up the song and they start fighting back the power of praise. I believe he started praising and he started praising and he started praising. One row, one row, one row. Suddenly you see something arising out there in the middle of the Red Sea that has opened up for them. There is praise arising. What happens when praise arises? Revelation Exodus 15:11. Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises. Let's imagine this is Israel, this is Egypt. When you praise, imagine my face is the face of God. When you praise, my face looks at you with flavor. My face turns to them in wrath. That for them, my face is fearful. For you, my face is a source of joy. Fearful in praise. That's what God does when his people praise. Fearful in praise. And the enemy starts trembling. The angels start moving it and before you know, Egypt is over. And in the history of the world from that day till today, Egypt has never risen as a power. Because he turned his fearful pace at Egypt because his people praised. Understand. Understand. That's why he told Jehoshaphat, I heard your prayer. Now you go. Appoint the priest. You praise. You praise. And you praise. Scripture will say, God fought the battle. He turned his fierce face towards his enemies. Learn how to pray. Learn how to praise. Learn the power of the kingdom. And if you learn your next generation, you learn you can change the destiny of this nation. What 2,000 years of the church was unable to do in India. Next five years will be possible in India. If the church learns how to pray according to his will and for his kingdom. This nation will change. Don't water the gospel. Don't change the gospel. The gospel is about him. It's about his kingdom and it's about his will. Nothing else. This nation will change. Shall we rise? Father, this morning we just humble ourselves, Lord. And we seek your face. We cannot even go to the next part, Lord. We just seek your face. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. If you shut our eyes, we will not see you. Your word says on the road to Damascus. You heard the two disciples talking and you walked in their midst answering their questions but you restrained their eyes from recognizing you. If you restrain our eyes how will we know you Lord? How can we seek your face? We humble ourselves oh Lord. Moses was humbled only when he was broken. Jacob was humbled only when he was broken. David was humbled only when he was broken. Abraham was humbled only when he was broken. Every one of them had to be broken before they would be humbled, O Lord. And the disciples, when they returned back to Jerusalem, told the apostles, when he broke the bread, our eyes opened. Help us not to fight your hand over our lives. Or even today. Broken people see his face. Broken people experience you in ways others can never. This season, Lord, starting tomorrow. This season. Show us your face. Teach us your paths. Reveal yourself to us. That like Joseph through our experiences. We too will be able to say. Iron has entered into my soul. And I will not be dismayed. When the enemy comes in like a flood. I will raise up the standard. Oh the spirit of God will raise the standard. The word of the living God through my mouth. For your word says they overcame him. By the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death surrendered total surrendered people committed to the king and to the cause of his kingdom i pray father a people will arise a people will arise in this last generation who will know god and who will do mighty exploits in his name lord as daniel prophesied thousands of years ago a people will arise who will know god and they will grow fat, wax fat in their soul. And they will love you with their whole soul. Nothing left out. Nothing left out for the enemy to touch. Nothing left out, left out for the world to touch. Sold out for Christ. A people will arise. I commit the church into their hands. A new month is before us. With new month, new challenges. But I pray for new revelations. New understanding of who God is. That scriptures would be opened for your children who search you, Lord. They would find you in every page of this book. They find you in every line in this book. That this is about you, the lover of my soul. The shepherd of my soul. That I might reach the end of my salvation. That is the redemption and the salvation of my soul. For your word says he who comes to him. He is able to save them to the uttermost. Oh father, that's our cry. That's our prayer. Nothing of us. Everything of you Lord. And as you bless your children. I pray, Father, even as you bless your children, and I pray for blessings over your children, they will become even more dependent upon you and your word and your spirit. It will not create a dependence outside of God. They will be able to say, like Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. We will be only dependent upon you and you. In everything. Thank you Father. Go before us Lord. Go before us. For we haven't gone this way before. We will keep that safe distance. Between us and you. We will hold you in awe. And with reverence. And the fear of God. Is in what we will delight. But we will follow you. Go before us Lord. We will follow you. For the fourth month is before us. And the fourth day. Is the eighth day. In the old covenant. In the fourth day, in the new covenant, let it be new beginnings for many, Lord. Let the old things they have been struggling with pass away. And behold a God in their life, make all things new. Let them taste you anew. Let them relish in their salvation anew. Let them delight in you anew, you, Lord. Go before us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. By faith, we lift up holy hands now in your house. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we open our mouth and this is the word of our testimony. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For we ask this and proclaim this in the mighty name of Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen. God bless you.